morning. It's good to see everybody and uh, welcome those that are joining us uh, live this morning uh, via our live broadcast. Uh, we appreciate each of you being here. We want to say a special welcome to any guests that we have with us today. Glad that you're here and hope you feel at home here at Greenwood and sense the presence of God's Holy Spirit and pray that his perfect will uh, will be done in your life uh, today. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer now and ask for his guidance and his leadership over this service and over our lives. Let's pray together at this time. Father, we thank you for this day. Uh, Father, the gift of it. Uh, Lord, we'll never have this day in this moment again. And so, God, I pray even now your precious Holy Spirit will begin to challenge us and begin to speak to us and to prepare our hearts to receive your word and your will today. Father, I pray uh, that if there's any unconfessed sin in our hearts this morning as believers, that God will begin to confess that even right now. As your spirit shines that out, God, you put your hand upon it. God will confess that and forsake it even now that your best might be done in our life today. Father, we pray for those who have never turned from sin and trusted you to be Lord of their life. God, you'll begin to prepare them, to draw them. God, to convict them. Only your Holy Spirit we know can do that. And Father, I pray that they'll respond to your word today by faith. And they'll trust Jesus to be Lord of their life. God, I pray as we sing this morning, uh, God, that we just mindlessly won't say words through our mouths. Father, our hearts will really engage with our head and we'll uplift and magnify the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. God, in such uh, a world full of turmoil, God, we're so thankful that we have a friend that never fails. God, we're so thankful that uh, there's a stead fastness that can always be found in you. God, thank you for a fountain that we can come to, that we can find healing and forgiveness and life and life more abundantly. But God, thank you for your love that you've demonstrated toward us while we were yet sinners. You sent Christ to die in our place. And God, that we can become a part of the family of God through what Jesus has done for us. So Father, I pray today that we'll experience you in a fresh new way as how we, through how we respond to your word and through your will and through the invitation that the Holy Spirit places upon our life at the conclusion of this service. Be glorified through all that's said and done in this place today. And we'll give you thanks for what you're going to do even now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Brother Scott. Let's all stand. There's not a friend like Jesus, is there? There's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. No, not one. None else can heal all our souls' diseases. No, not one. No, not one. Jesus knows all about our struggles. He will die till the day is done. There's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. No, not one. There's not a deep like the Savior given. No, not one. No, not one. Will he refuse us a home in heaven? No, not one. No, not one. Jesus knows all about our struggles. 
saved my soul. Oh, bless his name. I'll never forget the day he came. He makes me glad when I'm sad. Save my, soul. He save my soul, oh bless his name, oh, bless his name. I'll, never forget I'll never forget the day he came, he makes me glad, he makes me glad when, I am when I am sad, the dearest friend I ever had, he saved my soul, he saved my soul. Oh, bless his oh bless his name, I'll never forget, I'll never forget the day he Well, praise the Lord. Amen. Take your Bibles this morning, won't you please? Turn with me to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 12. We'll begin to read in verse number 13 this morning. Luke chapter 12, we'll begin to read in verse number 13. And for a few moments this morning, I want to speak to you on this subject. Don't miss heaven for the world. Don't miss heaven for the world. Luke chapter 12, we'll begin to read in verse number 13. I'll invite you to stand with me this morning when you find that. All those that can and are able in honor and in reverence for the reading of God's Word. We're in Luke chapter 12, begin to read in verse number 13. The Bible says these words, Then one from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take heed. And beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. And then he spoke a parable to them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will store all my crops and my Goods, And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that your spirit would challenge us this morning, would speak to us. God, I pray again, Lord, if there's one in our midst, one listening, or God, one that's going to listen to this later in the week and rebroadcast of this message, someone who's never been saved, God, they've never turned from their sin and by faith trusted Jesus to be Lord of their life, believing that he died, that he rose again. 
Father, they surrender their life to his will as they turn from sin and self. God, we pray that they'll do that uh, today. They'll, we pray they'll do that at the conclusion of this message. They'll give their life to Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that you'll challenge every believer today. And God, we'll take inventory in our hearts today. God, we'll, we'll really humbly and truthfully answer the question, what are we pursuing in life? And why are we pursuing it? And what will the end result be in eternity? And Father, I pray where our lives are out of line with your word and with your will, Father, we'll humble ourselves before you today. And God, your perfect will would be done in our lives, God, as we experience your reviving touch upon our lives. Challenge us. Speak to us today. Your perfect will be done. We'll give you thanks for what you're going to do again. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now I invite you to be seated. Remember, Christ has began his uh, earthly ministry uh, by the time we get to Luke chapter 12. And remember that Jesus had developed a crowd uh, by this time. We really see this amplified in John chapter 6 uh, as people found it, you know, interesting to be around Jesus because things always changed when Jesus passed by. Uh, the lame uh, would walk, the blind could see, funerals turned in to a birthday. And so it was an interesting thing to be around Jesus. But also Jesus met uh, physical needs, uh, everyday physical needs within people's lives. John chapter 6, we saw the feeding of the 5,000 and just the, the miracle in that. And so as far as a lost man was concerned, it benefited oneself to be around Jesus Christ. I mean, he, it was, there, was a, there was a show and then there was dinner. And so many of these began to attach themselves to him. And they called themselves disciples. And you remember in John chapter 6, Jesus began really to thin the crowd. Remember, you see, Jesus' crowd never got bigger. It always got smaller. Because he always began to lay out what the life of a real disciple was going to look like. And he was continually preparing them for ministry after his departure. In, in verses 1 through 3, uh, Jesus of chapter 12, Jesus warned uh, those that were following about the dangers of religion, just being attached to a church, just having an outward profession, but not an inward possession of, of God through relationship with Jesus Christ. He warned the dangers about casualness, uh, verses 4 through 7, uh, of a relationship with God. He, he warned about uh, the challenge of ridicule, verses 8 through 11. Uh, and, and, and as people uh, began to ridicule you because of your faith and following Christ. But in verses 13 through 21, Jesus begins to speak about the dangers of covetousness. In verse number 13, there was a real-world problem. Verse 13, some of those who were following, who most likely would have called themselves disciples. Then one from the crowd said to him, uh, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And so they had a real problem. And I've experienced this in ministry. You know, death in the family will bring out either the best or the worst in the family. It always does. There's never any in-between. It will really display the closeness that a family and the siblings have and, and really just the love that they had for their parents and honoring their memory in their life. Or it just brings out the worst. And there's just a cat and a dog fight over who's going to get what pot and what cup and, and what quilt and, and what last little piece of acreage. And, and here were two brothers who had a disagreement about an inheritance. So it was, it was a real-world 
problem. But in verse number 14, Jesus gave them a straight reminder about why he had come. And they, they had a real problem. But, but why he came didn't have anything to do with their problem. Verse 14, Jesus said to them, Man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? They're saying, look, God didn't send me here to, to try to decide between you two who gets what piece of ground or who gets what shotgun or who gets mama's Bible. He says, that's not what he sent me here for. Remember Luke chapter 19, verse 10. Jesus said, the reason he came, says, that the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. He said, that's why God sent me here. Remember on Palm Sunday, it's, it's, it's the religious crowd, again, the crowd we see in verses 1 through 3, began to herald the coming of Christ. And Man, they were waving the palm branches, and they would have all been clapping hands. And, and, and literally, they, they probably all would have been singing, man, he's the best friend we've ever had. Woo! Here he comes! But really, all of that hee-hawing was really just a response from their heart. They didn't want Jesus to be Lord of their life. They wanted the political ruler. They wanted someone who would tell Rome where to go, move Jerusalem back into the forefront, and that's all they wanted was a political leader. But nobody was going to be Lord of their hearts. Jesus knew this. He saw this. And so their, 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 his heart was broken at this. And he saw the hearts of these men. When, 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 the, when they begin to speak that thing, he's, that, that real world need, Jesus, don't miss this, Jesus saw the greater need that they had in their life. And it was to have a proper perspective about money and the stuff that money can buy. Because he was trying to warn them about the dangers of, of, of covetousness. And I want to remind you, friend, that, you know, and, and I hear this all the time, people saying, well, well, God knows my heart. You know what? He does. He, he sees exactly into our hearts what the, what the real intent and what the real thoughts are. In, in John chapter 2, verse 23, the Bible says, Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. But the Bible says Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men. He had no need that anyone should testify of man because he knew what was in a man. That is to say, Jesus knew who really was confessing him and who wasn't. He sees into our hearts and he knows our needs. He knows really what's there, not only in a, in a profession, but he sees when we say, when we pray, you know, God, you know, please, God, I wish you'd just work and get this inheritance settled out. No different in praying that than saying it to his face like they did in verse number 13. But Jesus saw the greater need that they had. And that was, he began to challenge them about the dangers of covetousness. Look what the Bible says in verse number 16. Then he spoke a parable unto them. It's a heavenly story with, with, with real, it's, it's, a, it's an earthly story with heavenly truth. It's a story that people could relate to, but there were divine biblical principles that God was trying to teach the listener. And I want you to remember again, there's, there's three things that apply to every passage of Scripture that you read. There's the original message to the original audience. There's the time-transcending truth that never changes. And then there's the application for our lives today. So Jesus had a message for these individuals, but friend, he still has a message for us today. And, the, and, and there's an application that can speak to our hearts and to where we are at all ages and at all times in our lives. And so Jesus begins to challenge his disciples concerning the dangers 
of covetousness. Well, what is covetousness? Well, it's, it's an unquenchable desire for more. To, to never be satisfied with, with what one is being given by God. And listen, and there's, there's a fine line in that, friend. You, you can put your possessions to work for the glory of God, or you can be possessed by your possessions. And it's all how you allow God to use the things that he's given you in your life. But covetousness, again, is just that unquenchable desire for more. More money and more stuff. You're, you're never satisfied. The, the more you have, the more you want. Because it's not for God's glory, it's for yours and for your, for your satisfaction. And, and look at verse number 15. It, 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 because certainly they would probably begin to turn him off as he talked about this. Maybe some of you have already done that to me this morning. Look at verse number 15. He said to them, take heed. He, he began to speak to them and say, listen, he says, you need to listen up to what I'm about to say. He says, I've, I've, I know your real focus is on who's going to get the back 40, okay, on the farm. That's what you're consumed with, and that's why you've come to me. Think about that, friend. The sinless Son of God, the God in human flesh was standing before them. And the only thing they could ask him was, can you settle who gets what in the inheritance? And so he begins to speak to them and say, listen, I'm not going to answer that, but you need to take heed. You need to listen up. Verse number 15, continue to look at it. He says, take heed, he says, and beware. He says, there's a trap that you're already possessed with and you can be possessed with. And you say this morning, well, I thank God I'm not possessed by the trap of covetousness. Friend, you're already halfway there. I want to remind you, the Bible says, let him that stand take heed lest he fall. Any sin you ever get to a place on your spiritual high horse, you say, well, I would never do that. You're already on the slippery slope to committing it. It's only through the power of the Holy Spirit and surrender to God's Lordship, friend, that we can push away from temptation and not be overcome by it. So never get to a place you think, well, I would never do that. Jesus says, take heed and beware. He says, well, because, be very cautious. Why? He says, because, what, look at verse 15. One's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Now, don't you listen to me this morning. That goes in complete contrast. That runs against the thoughts and the ideals of the world. Because of the ideals of the world, the more you have, the happier you are. Remember that show you used to come on? Some of you aren't going to have a clue what I'm talking about, but many of you in here are. Remember that show that used to come on Sunday afternoons years ago? And that fellow that had the weird voice, Robin Leach, would get on there and he'd say, Welcome to Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. Y'all remember that little show? And they'd take you into the, the homes of all these people. And, and you're just convinced, you know, that they had done something in life more than you had because they had more than you. You know, they had a swimming pool shaped like their face and they had. 15, you know, bathrooms in their house. If you've got 15 bathrooms in your house, you need to see a doctor. You've got problems if you've got that many bathrooms in your house. And so you're just convinced, you know, that they had the tiger by the tail. But Jesus, that's not the way it is. One's life does not consist of the things that they have. One's life is made up in having Jesus Christ. John 10, 10, Jesus says, The thief comes but to steal, to kill, and to destroy. To steal, kill, and destroy. And he does that through pitfalls that as followers of Christ we fall into. I want to say something to all the young people in here this morning. You know, I want you to look up here at me. All the young people. Mom and dads, if they're not looking at me, jab them and make them look. 
You know, I, I was once too a young person. Well, it's hard to believe that I was. And I, I had a drug problem for the first 18 years of my life. My parents drugged me to church every Sunday. And I sat on the pew just like you're sitting on a hard chair this morning. And I probably sat and looked at my pastor like some of you look at me sometime. Like, you know, why am I here? This is so boring and so unrelevant to my life. I'm having to give up my Sunday morning to be here. And I probably, I probably sat and looked like that. And that may be your heart. But I'm just saying that was mine sometimes. And I want to tell you something this morning. I want to make a confession to you. You can probably find a church that's got more bells and whistles. And you might can find a church that's got a whole lot more people and a lot more young people. And you can find a pastor that can preach a whole lot better than I can, speak a whole lot better than I can. But you'll never find a pastor that loves your soul more than I do. And my greatest desire for you as a young person, I want you to listen to me, is that you will grow up and be a man and a woman of integrity. And that you, you will come to know Christ as Savior and Lord. And that you will grow, you allow God to grow a biblical foundation in your life to where God can work through you and do great things through you that matter in eternity. And one of those bricks that's a part of that foundation is how you respond to money and the thirst for more. It's, 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 a, it's, it's just something in, in the life of every disciple. We have to learn to respond to in a positive way. And that's what Christ was trying to teach these, these, these followers of his, is how they have a proper response to money and the thirst for more things. And so he does so by sharing a parable about a man who was a farmer who found himself with excess in his response to those things. So I want you to notice these four things that Jesus shares about this man who was consumed by an unquenchable desire for more money and for more stuff. Four things I want you to notice. Number one this morning, this man, he had a misplaced focus. He had a misplaced focus completely. Look what the Bible says in verse number 16. Then Jesus spoke a parable to them saying, the ground of a certain rich man, it yielded plentifully. So there was an overabundance of crops. So man, that's a blessing. I've never heard a farmer that's ever com com complained and said, man, we just got too many crops in the field this year. You know, too much hay. We're just too much corn on the stalk this year. We're too much beans this year. There's never been a farmer that's ever said that before. You know, so there was, there was a blessing, but by how one dealt with the blessing responded the outcome. So it's not a sin, listen to me, that's not what the point of what Christ is saying. It's not a sin to have excess. It's not a sin to have riches. It's not a sin to have possessions. It's a sin to be possessed by those possessions. So this man, had, he had a misplaced focus. And so he, he, he sees this excess because, look at your Bible, verse 16, the ground that he, that he farmed on, it yielded plentifully. But here's where things began to go wrong. He didn't seek God. He didn't turn to God and say, God, what do you want me to do with this? How do you, how do you want me to respond to this blessing? What is it that you want to do through, through our family's life with this excess that we, that we have. Friend, listen, a life that honors God, first off, it begins with spiritual life. 
And that's what Jesus warned of in the first three verses. You, you can't live for God until you have spiritual life. Ephesians 2, Paul says, you who were dead in trespasses in. All people are born spiritually dead. That's why Jesus said to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, verse 7, he says, you must be born again. You have to turn from sin and by faith trust Jesus to be Lord of your life. So that's the beginning of spiritual life. So the life that honors God begins with spiritual life. But listen, it's coupled with a prayer life and the study of God's Word that seeks God's will in all things. All things. Listen, there's not a part of your life as a follower of Christ that, is, that can be outside of God's will if you're going to be inside God's will. You can't compartmentalize your life and say, well, God's going to be Lord over 99. If, if Jesus is not Lord over 100% of your life, then he's not Lord of your life. He'll be Lord over everything. Jesus said again, why do you call me Lord and do not the things I say to do? And so the life that honors God, it begins by, with knowing him, but it's coupled with a prayer life and the study of God's word that seeks his will in all things. This man didn't turn to the word. This man didn't pray and say, God, what do you want me to do with all of these things? What, what is it you would have me to do? James chapter 4 and verse number 13, James speaks about how we're to respond about decisions in our life that we're going to have to make. Verse 13 of chapter 4, James says, Come now, you who say, today and tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. He says, whereas you don't know what will happen tomorrow. He says, what is your life? It's even the vapor that appears for a little time and then it vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, James says, what you, the way you ought to respond to tomorrow is to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live to do this and that. But now you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting is evil. And you say, well, Brother Chad, that's, that's just James's opinion. That's just your opinion. No, the Bible says, therefore, to him that knows to do good and does it not, to him it's sin. To not respond to decisions in our life by turning to God and seeking God. The book of James says that's sin. You can't be rightly related to God and keep God out of decisions in your life, especially when it involves finances and what finances can do. More stuff. More stuff in our life. So he, he has this abundance. And look at verse, what verse 17 says. He doesn't even turn to a prayer. He fought within himself. You know, it seems like the wise thing for me. This is what I'm going to do. Now, I've got this problem. Now, you know, Jesus, I'm going to trust you to keep me out of hell. But now I've got this overabundance. Hmm, what am I going to do with that? So he begins to think within himself. What, what, what is it that I should do with this? What, what shall I do? Well, he's got a problem. He begins to think within himself. He says, what shall I do with all these crops? He says, I have no room to store my crops. Well, he was a farmer, and he had barns he was going to tear down to build other ones. How did he have no room? Listen to me. The barns he had were already full. He didn't need any more. But now he's consumed with all that comes along with having more. I mean, he's going to win the county fair now. I mean, he's going to be the farmer of farmers. He's going to be able to write a book about how to have the bumper crop when nobody else does. All these, all these outward challenges are there that the thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy are going to push through his mind 
about how he's going to be elevated and how he's going to be glorified and how the use of all this stuff is going to benefit his life and make him happy because he's looking at all the other people around him that aren't living for God and they, they seem to be happy because they're doing all these things. At least they're pretending that they're happy. And so he's going to be happy now. And so he begins to think within himself, what am I going to do with all of this? He was consumed with, with more. He had a misplaced focus. You see, as a disciple, his focus should have been, how can I glorify God today? What is it that God's called me to? Well, I know I'm to live on mission. What are my other responsibilities? God, how can I glorify you? And how do you, we've got this now, but how can we use this to glorify you in a way to accomplish what you've called us to do? He didn't do that. He had a misplaced focus. He was chasing after the affairs of life. I'll ask you a question this morning. Would you be honest for God? What are you chasing after today? It's easy to see. Listen to me. Whatever you give the best of your time, the best of your finances, and the best of your life, and the majority of your focus to, that's what you're chasing. That's what you're chasing. Where your treasure is, that's, that's where your heart will be. You know, to, to what or to whom do you give your best? This guy, all he was consumed with is preserving the excess. This man's focus was on temporal, listen, literally, perishables. Perishables. It's things that, that, that are here for a little while, and then they start rotting. That's what he was giving himself to, things that have no eternal value. And why was he doing that? Why would he give himself to all of these perishable things? Well, because of I. Look at the Bible says in verse number 18. He says, so he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns. I will build greater barns. And there I will store all my crops and my goods. I, I, I. Who's, who's the focus of his life? He was. He was living for himself. That, that was the real focus in his life. It wasn't about... Christ first, others second, me last. He loved the Lord Jesus with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. He loved him, him, and him. That's who, he was, that's who he's focused on. He said, so I'm going to tear down what I've got that's already stored in what God has given me, and then I'm going to build it up. And friend, listen, we can already see it wasn't so he could preserve it and ship it to people that were starving. It wasn't so he could sell it all and send it to the missionaries. It was all for him. It was for his personal consumption. It was all about his life and to further his self-focused life. And Jesus speaks about the, the challenges. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 20. Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Listen, Jesus isn't saying, friend, you shouldn't be prepared for the future. He's not saying it's wrong to have a freezer, a deep freezer in your basement. He's not saying it's wrong to can. He's not saying it's wrong to have a 401k and to be prepared to retire. He said it's not wrong to have health insurance and insurance and house insurance. That's not what he's saying. It's, it's about your focus. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in, but lay up treasures for yourself in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves can break in and steal. He says, that's to be your focus. Earthly living 
is to be done for the glory of God, friend, and it carries over into eternity. He says that's where your focus is to be on, glorifying God through all things. Matthew 6, 33, Jesus said, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Then all these things shall be added unto you. What does that mean to seek the kingdom of God? Friend, it means this, that your, listen, young people, you better get this one because it took me a long time. Now, I want to tell you something, friend. You better hear me this morning. There's some barns you build that you can't tear down. You don't want to build a barn outside of God's will because some of them you can't start over with. One of the secrets to serving God I wish I would have discovered and put into action at an earlier age in my life is to seek the kingdom reign of Christ over my life at all times first. And then it's a life that's surrendered to his lordship. He'll take care of all the other things. He'll fill the barn. I'm going to have to plow, and I'm going to have to fertilize, and I'm going to have to gather in and lay by. But friend, he'll take care of all the other things that I need to survive my daily bread if I'll simply put him first in my life. If he'll be the focus. But this man had a misplaced focus. Jesus, he alone, is our greatest treasure. This man had a misplaced focus. Secondly, Christ was trying to show them not only did he have a misplaced focus, but he had a misguided faith. His faith was completely misguided. He begins to to look at all of these goods and the the abundance that's in the field. He surveys all that he has. Man, he thought to himself, man, I have have need of nothing. I'm going to tear my barns down. I'm going to build new ones. I'm going to put all this food in there. And he says, says, and I'll say to my soul, verse number 19, look at it. So you have many goods laid up for many years. Take ease. Man, eat, drink, and be merry. I mean, live life for you. Man, you've worked hard. Retire early, you know? Just build a compound. Disconnect from the world. I mean, God obviously wants you to have all this or you wouldn't have it. And so just use it for, for yourself. He sounds like the lot, like the church at Laodicea that Jesus spoke of, that, oh, by the way, he said was like warm vomit in his mouth. In Luke chapter 3, and verse number 17, Jesus said the testimony of the church of Laodicea was, but you say, they said of themselves, I'm rich, I've become wealthy, I have need of nothing. He says, and you don't even know that in my eyes you're wretched, you're miserable, you're poor, you're blind, and you're naked. That's what Jesus saw. They saw themselves, man, we've got everything. Because according to the world standards, we've got Everything. According to God's standards, they were poor, they were wretched, they were blind, they were miserable. They couldn't see anything. They had nothing. They needed a touch from God upon their life. You see, first off, he somehow thought he could preserve the crops. He thought somehow he could make this stuff last forever. You know, friend, listen, even before freezers, you know, Nothing, nothing better than eating a three-year-old jar of peaches that are just mash, mush inside, right? Mm, boy, that's good stuff. Green beans that have turned yellow that are five years old in the can. Boy, don't you want to crack those open? Listen, I don't care if you put the whole pig in the pot. It ain't gonna, it's not going to make it taste better. There's some things you can't... But he was, he was convinced... That, that he had this great accomplishment in his life that he had brought about because he was such a great farmer or he had pulled himself up by his bootstraps that somehow he could preserve all this. 
And he was going to be the sustainer and the provider and the keeper of his life. That's what possessions do, friend. They blind you to the truth, friend. Everything that we have in our life that is good flows through the hands, friend, of a providing God. You say, well, I've, everything I've got in my life, I've worked. Friend, you couldn't draw your next breath unless God allowed it. You couldn't draw it. Everything that we have is through him and by him. In spite of us, in spite of who we are. He thought he could preserve this. He forgot about that little visitation, you know, the, the, remember the locusts in the book of Amos and Joel that we saw just several months ago? Friend, listen, it doesn't matter what you have that you think you can preserve, God can wipe it out just like that. And we've become so dependent upon these silly computers today. Friend, there could be one glitch and everything you and I have would be gone in a second and we couldn't argue it with anybody. It'd be gone. He thought he could preserve everything. And secondly, he thought he had many years to eat it. Look what the Bible says. I'll say to myself, so you have many goods laid up for many years. You're going to pre- preserve this. But also he says, you're going to have many years to eat it, to eat, drink, and be merry. He, he thought... He could preserve his own life. That's what happens, friend, when you become your own God. You say, I would never do that. Friend, if you seek to call the shots in your life apart from the Word of God and the will of God, you have become God in your own life. What you've told God is, I don't need you over these parts of my life. I'll take care of this. You're your own Lord. You're your own Lord. That's why... James says again, James chapter 4, don't, don't boast about tomorrow. Rather, we should say, as the Lord wills. But, but this man, he had no concern for God's will. His hope for the future was in his stuff. And it's so heartbreaking to see so many people in the world in which we're living just running themselves ragged for more stuff. Buying houses they can't afford, Vehicles that they can't make a payment on, can't fill up the tank. Trying to keep up with the Joneses and the Smiths, everybody around them, because they think that's going to make them happy. Rather than, friend, simply just seeking God's will and God's provisions for their life in all things. Misplaced focus, but a misplaced faith. He thought he could sustain himself. And that's why so many people chase so many different things that have no eternal value. They've been deceived into thinking, listen, that fill in the blank, whatever it is. If I've got this job, or I've got this house, or I've got this vacation, or if my kid's on this team, or gets this scholarship, or if I get this job promotion, or if I can just get this much money, or I can retire at this age, or we can live in this community. We can do, well, just fill in the blank. If I can get this, then, then, then somehow that's going to bring security, peace, and joy in my life. Friend, I want you to listen to me this morning. On the authority of God's Word, the only, it's not a thing, it's the only person that can bring security, peace, and lasting joy in your life is the Lord Jesus Christ. It's Him alone. It's saving faith and surrendered faith in Him. Only Jesus can do that. Paul in Philippians chapter 4, and I want to remind you, he wrote this from prison. He said in Philippians 4 verse 19, And my God shall supply all your need according to His 
riches and glory by Christ Jesus. That means, friend, listen, God won't supply all our needs, but he's promised to meet all our needs. You can rest in that, and you can trust in that. Matthew 6, but seek ye first the kingdom of God. That is, put Christ first in all things, and then God will take care of everything else. You'll have to do your part. You're going to have to work. You're going to have to use your body. You're going to have to follow God's will and be obedient to God's will, but God's going to take care of all the things that are out of our grasp and out of our grip, and he'll meet our needs according to his riches and glory. He had a misplaced focus. This man had a misguided faith. But third, notice he had a misused life. Friend, life is a blessing. He misused the life that God had given him. Look at verse number 19. He says, I'll say to my soul, when, when I tear my barns down, when I, when I build the, the new barns, and I sit and look at all the stuff that's in it, and, and I pat myself on the back, and I say, boy, what a farmer you are, Johnny. Boy, you're, boy, you're really something. You know, you've really, you've really changed the direction of your family. No, nobody else in your family ever did anything like this. When, when he sat and looked at, at all those things, and then verse 19, I'll, I'll say to my soul, so you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Nowhere do you see in this verse where he said, man, God, don't miss this. God has given me all of these provisions, all of this abundance, so that now, don't miss this part, I can more easily fulfill what he's called me to do. I can more aptly live on mission for this guy. Maybe I can be the better the husband God has called me to do. I can help out more at the church. God, we're going to be able to more equip ministry that reaches souls and disciples people into being disciples that build other disciples. But that wasn't his focus. He had a misuse. Life was not about service to Christ. It was about enjoyment for him. But he thought he had more days. Remember Proverbs chapter 27, verse number 1? If you've never been saved, you better listen to this this morning. The Bible says, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for you know not what the day will bring. You may never have another day to re- receive Jesus Christ to be Lord of your life. This may be it. This may be the last opportunity and the last altar call that you ever have to turn and trust Jesus Christ. And you'll remember it for all eternity. That's why the Bible says, friend, to seek him while he may be found, to call upon him while he may be near. This guy thought he had years just to sit and enjoy all the stuff that he'd accumulated. He thought he, he, thought he now had the freedom to do whatever he wanted to in life. He saw the freedom to do whatever he, whatever he wanted to do. Remember what the Apostle Paul said in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20? He says, I've been crucified with Christ. Paul says, literally, listen, there weren't four crosses on the hill. There weren't two thieves and cross. Paul is saying symbolically, when I trusted Jesus Christ, he said, I died with him. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. Paul says, I'm not calling the shots for my life anymore. He says, Jesus does. In Acts chapter 9, friend, listen, on the road to Damascus, when he said, Lord, what will you have me to do? He laid down his life to Jesus Christ. That meant God was calling the shots now. Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. He says, and the life which I now live in the flesh, 
I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Contrast that with what this guy's saying, that's the barn builder. He's saying, man, I'm, who cares what Jesus wants me to do? Man, I've got all this stuff. I want to be on Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. I can do whatever I want to do now. I don't need God. He had a misplaced focus. He had a misplaced faith. And then he had a misused life. Paul used his life for the glory of God. And I'll submit to you, friend, the reason that there's a church called Greenwood sitting on this road is because it began with the ministry of the Apostle Paul to take the gospel to the Gentiles. He surrendered his life and God did things. What could God could have done through this man? I mean, obviously he had some sense about him. He grew in abundance of crops. But what would have happened if he would have given that mind to God? That's how our hearts break over lostness. We see political leaders who are so charismatic in how they can speak, and they're so shrewd in how they manipulate the truth. And, and, and we, don't, we don't look at that and say, man, boy, they're, they're really, a, they're, really they are, they're an overachiever at wickedness. No, we don't say that. But what we sit and say is, man, how heartbreaking what God could do through that person if they were surrendered to Jesus Christ. What could God do if their life was surrendered to his lordship? So here's this man who just said, man, I'm going to live life for me. You know, and part of me wonders, just because of being in ministry, who he had around him that encouraged him in this. Don't miss this this morning. I wonder, I wonder you know, if, if he was like, you know, I'm thinking about tearing my barn. I'm going to tear my barns down and build other barns. You know, if that would have happened today, and you'd have put that online, well, half the people in the church would be like, oh, so happy for you. Red heart, red heart, high five, high five. I mean, we're just so happy for you. Ear corn, ear corn, ear corn, green bean, green bean, green bean. Not have you prayed about this. Not have you certain, what's God's will about tearing this down? What does the Bible say about this? Is this, I mean, are you, do you really feel like this is something God wants you to, No. Now, what people do today, because we're so concerned about what somebody else is going to think about us, we just we blindly go along with it. Whatever they say, we just go along with it. And friend, I want to remind you, the Bible says, you as a disciple of Christ, you will give an account to God for every idle word you've spoken or typed with your fingers. You will stand at the judgment seat of Christ and everything. Literally, friend, it's like somebody is standing on the cliff on the edge of God's will and they're fixing to jump. They're going to lose their testimony. They're going to lose their life. They're going to lose their spiritual influence. And you're sitting with the crowd down the bottom saying, jump, 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 jump. Good. God wants you to be happy. Do it. God wants you to be happy. We're so happy for you. Instead of challenging that person, say, listen, what are you thinking? Have you prayed about this? Have you really, what, does, what does God say about this? So you just have to wonder who is around this guy. And I want to tell you, it is, it, is, it is so concerning to me when I see the people of God rally around people that clearly are fixing to step outside God's expressed will in His Word and just usher them on down the road outside of God's will. What are you thinking? You'll answer to God for it. You'll answer to God for it. Every idle word spoken, the Bible says, you will answer to God, Matthew 12, 36. 
Verse number 20, notice God's response. We see the man's response. He's, just, he's going to use his life for him. Notice what the Bible says in verse. God said to him, fool. But I'll remind you something. God always has the last word. He always has, I don't care how slick a talker you are, how loud your voice gets, how ugly you can say, well, I always win the fights. How, how, how long you can pout to shame your husband into getting what you want for him. I don't care. God's always going to have the last word. He'll always have it. But God said to him, fool. Fool. That's God's response. The world's response was, man, follow your heart, man. Tear those barns down, buddy. Build them bigger. Follow your heart. There probably been churches around, friend, listen, that not only encouraging with them, they'd had a six-week program about how to tear the barn down and build it up. They'd have helped him right along with it. As long as he would have come there, as long as he would have given there. Whatever, whatever he wanted to hear, that's what they would have told him. But notice what God had to say. You fool. You fool. What a foolish thing it is that you've done. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 18. The Apostle Paul said this to the church at Ephesus. He says, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Friend, I'll ask you a question this morning. When God looks at you as a disciple, do you want him to look at you and say you're a fool or I'm proud of you? What do you want? Because I promise, friend, if you want him to be proud of you, listen to me this morning. The world's going to think you're an idiot. If you live your life to please God, the world will think you are absolutely moronic and that you've lost your mind. But if you want the world to just think you're the greatest thing that there's ever been, God's going to look at you and say, you fool. Because you either wasted away days to trust Christ, or after you trusted Christ, you never did anything for the kingdom of God. You, you misused your life. Paul says, see then that you walk carefully through life. Not as fools, but as wise people. Listen to verse 16 of Ephesians 5. He says, redeeming the time because the days are evil. He says, making most of every single day to accomplish something at last. He says, therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Paul says, understand what God's will is for your life, and then do it. That's the way you use your life in a way that honors God. You want your life to honor God and have eternal impact? Then be saved. And discover what God's will is for your life and for your family. Listen to me. And here's the next part. Do it. But you listen. Hell's going to be full of people who knew how to be saved. I worked with a boy at UPS when I was in seminary. He was lost. I witnessed to him for a year and a half. He knew every... Listen, friend. He knew all, He had heard and memorized almost every verse in the book of Romans because I'd said it to him so many times. I could have stood him up before a crowd of lost people and he could have preached a message from the Bible, I'm telling you, on how to be saved. Because he knew it here. He'd heard it and he knew it. But he had never received it here. So it's not enough just to know, friend. What brings benefit is doing. If you want a life that blesses God, you have to know God's will and be obedient to it. A life that does will be grounded in obedience to the whole word and the whole will of God. He had a miss.
used life. And then fourth, because of that, he had a missed out heaven. A missed out heaven. Was he lost or saved? I'm glad Jesus doesn't definitively say here because it leaves the application to go two directions. If he was lost, he's like the rich man in Luke 16. He had the best of everything. The poor people desired to be fed from the crumbs that fell from his table, but he would died without Jesus Christ, and he opened his eyes, the Bible says, in a place called hell, separated from God for all eternity. But if he was saved, he would have been one of those poor, pitiful people that Paul talks about to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. In verse number 15, where he says, if anyone's work, that is what he's done for Christ, remember, we're saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's, it's, the gift, it's all the gift of God, Romans 6, 23. We receive it by faith, Romans 8, 9, 10, 9, and 10. It's nothing we do, it's a gift we receive. But if we've not lived our lives for the glory of God, if anyone's work, if literally, verse 15 of, of, of 1 Corinthians 3, if all the barns one's built... If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as by fire. I thank God, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, gave his only begotten Son. Whosoever believed in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And thank God it's everlasting. What does everlasting mean? It means lasts forever. You say, well, I knew a guy that served, and he was a deacon, and he just started serving the world. Friend, listen, faith that finished... Faith that fizzles before the finish had a flaw from the first. You can't lose what you never had. But if you've truly received Jesus Christ, friend, you've got everlasting life. But the Apostle Paul teaches in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, friend, that when it comes to the judgment seat of Christ, what you have to lay, it'll be burned up like wood, hay, and stubble, and you'll have nothing to lay at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, well, how's that a missed out heaven? You're going to miss out on the best of heaven. All the glories that are there. Again, Matthew 6, 19 through 20. You didn't lay up treasure for yourself. Jesus says, listen, the things that you do for Christ here on earth, it matters in eternity. I don't know how it's all going to work out. I don't know how God's going to settle it all out. But I know this, friend. The Bible teaches in the book of Revelation, chapter 20, that Jesus Christ is going to rule and reign on this earth for a literal thousand years. The church is going to be here with him. We're going to have ministry. We're going to have things that we're going to do. And what you do now determines what you're going to do in eternity. What you have in eternity is determined by what you do now. That's not my word, friend. That's the word of God. And that's not why we do it. We do it because he gave his life for us and we give our life to him. But how you use your life here, friend, determines what you miss out on in heaven. Listen to what Paul told a young pastor in 1 Timothy chapter 6 who was ministering in a city that was marred and marked by immorality and worldliness. Now listen to me. I'm about to close. Listen. Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 6, Now godliness with contentment is great gain. That is to have a life that's surrendered to Christ's lordship in all things he says, in contentment with it, he says, it's great gain. He says, for we brought nothing into this world, and it's certain that we can carry nothing out. That farmer wasn't born owning barns, and he left leaving them to somebody else. And all the stuff that people are working for, friend, you're killing yourself to try to get and get more of, it's going to stay right here. You came in naked 
and the doctor slapped your naked hind end to make sure you were breathing, and friend, that's the way you're going to go out. You're gonna, you're, you're not, you didn't bring anything in, you'll take nothing out. He says, in having food and clothing, verse 8, let, with these things, let us be content. But those who desire to be rich, listen, who are given to covetousness, who want more and contemplate how they can have more for their self-sufficiency and their self-focus, he said, they fall into temptation and the snare and to many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith. Paul said there are many who are in a right relationship with God, but they started looking toward the world. They had a little excess. They thought, man, let's build some barns. I can finally have a little peace. And boy, life's just going to be smooth sailing from here out. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and have pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Didn't bring the joy they thought it would, but listen to what he says in verse 11. But you, he says, but you, O man of God, flee these things. Don't give ear to covetousness. You pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold of eternal life to which you were called and have confessed a good confession in the presence of many witnesses. He says, give yourself to that. Look at verse number 21, again, of our text in Luke chapter 3. Jesus says, this is what happened to this man, but look at verse number 21. He says, so is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Literally what he's saying is this, so are you. He said, you're just like this guy. And you're going to end up just like this guy if all you try to do is lay up treasure for yourself on this earth and you're not rich toward God. What's that mean to be rich toward God? Listen, it means first off to have a personal saving relationship with Him and to give one's life and to invest in solely in what God's called you to do on this earth. Friend, don't miss heaven for the world. If you've never been saved, turn and trust Him today. And if you're not wholly surrendering your life to God's will for your life, that is living on mission, daily spending time in His Word and prayer, seeking to build relationships with people so you can share the gospel with them, discovering what your spiritual gift is, being surrendered to ministry in the life of the church. If you're not doing those things, friend, then start today and do it and be rich toward God. And friend, I'm telling you, heaven will be worth it all. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Well, Father, I pray there won't be a deadness to this invitation, but God, I pray your precious Holy Spirit will convict lost people even now of hell that awaits them if they don't turn and trust you. God, I pray you'll break the hearts of the saved they're out of fellowship with you today. God, break up that hard ground. God, I pray they'll surrender themselves to you fresh and anew, and they'll leave here revived in their right relationship with you today. The heads are bowed, the eyes are closed. If you died today, are you certain you'd go to heaven? Truly certain there's been a moment in your life where you repented and trusted Christ to be Lord of your life. If you can't identify that time, friend, won't you do it right now? Christ died for you. He paid the debt. He's waiting to hear from you. He sent His Holy Spirit to convict you and to call you and to challenge you. You have His Word that's been shared with you. How you can repent. How you can trust Him. How by faith He'll come into your heart and be Lord of your life if you'll simply receive Him by faith today.
Just tell him so right now. Just silently where you sit, tell him so, just like this. God, forgive me a sinner. I believe you died for me. I believe you rose again. And I want you, just like Paul did, and like others I know, I want you to come into my heart and be Lord of my life. I lay my life at your feet. I turn from sin. I trust Jesus to be Lord of my life today. If you prayed that prayer, you've trusted Christ to be Lord of your life. Brother Ray Hyman's going to be standing over to your left this morning. I'm going to invite you, and when Peggy begins to sing in just a few moments, to get up out of your seat and to make your way to where Ray's going to be standing. He wants to pray with you. He wants to talk with you about what it means now that you've trusted Christ to be Lord of your life. Dear brother, sister in Christ, what are you chasing after today? Listen to me. What are you chasing after? Are you seeking first the kingdom of God? Or are you being influenced to seek after the world? You know, be happy, follow your heart. Has there ever been a day where you love Jesus more than you do today? And friend, you need revival. You need a fresh restart in Christ that only He can bring. Tell Him so right now. Say, Lord, forgive me of where I've allowed myself to come to in my walk with you. God, I know I'm not right. My relationship with you is not right. And I confess the sin. These are the things you're showing me. Lord, I don't want, I don't want to miss out on anything because of the perishable things this world has. Lord, you're the, you're, you're the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. Lord, I want to give my life to you wholly and truly today. Fresh and anew. God, I want to leave this place fully committed and fully surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That's my confession. God, revive my heart. Give me a fresh start today. Maybe you need to talk with someone more. You need somebody to pray with you. Brother Ray will do that. Others are available. However God speaks to you, friend, you respond today. But don't miss the best of heaven for the perishable things of this world. Father, challenge us now. Your will be done. Holy Spirit, overwhelm us with what you're calling us to do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Let's reverently stand our feet. Heads are bowed. Eyes are closed. No one's looking around. If you need to make a decision, come now. In my life for so long And you were right when I was wrong I can't repay all the love you've given me You've been my friend when no one cared when I was alone you were there for you.
Will be done.